so much of my Christian life has been, hey, God, can you give me this gift? Can you open this door for my company? Can you bless my wife and I so that our pregnancy will be successful? And these are amazing good things that a good father wants to give. But I realized that God wasn't enough for me. And this season has got me to a place where God has become enough for me, where adversity after adversity, I can pause and I can just say, God, I love you. I believe and I know that you are good, even without this good gift. Welcome to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. If you're a fund manager, investor, or financial advisor driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected in the Faith Driven Investor community is to sign up for our newsletter, faithdriveninvestor.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. One of the things we've heard the community ask us for is help in finding great deals to invest in. And so we've launched Marketplace. It's a new platform of funds and direct deals. Everything from private equity and real estate funds to ETFs. From philanthropic to market rate deals spanning the U.S. and emerging markets. Check it out at faithdriveninvestor.org forward slash marketplace. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you have about being a faith-driven investor. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guest may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Welcome back, everyone, to a very special crossover event. You know, we've been doing these between Faith Driven Entrepreneur and the Faith Driven Investor podcast. Uh, when we have a guest who it just makes sense to cross over and talk to both of our audiences. And I can't wait to introduce you today to Kwame Williams. Normally, Johnny, who's great on our team, gives me a bio or a list of experiences that help me intro a guest. But today I want to give you something different. These are the three beliefs that drive Kwame Williams' passion, which you're going to learn about. One, poverty is an injustice. An injustice. Two, we have a responsibility and a joy to solve this man-made problem. And three, every problem presents an opportunity for business. And if that doesn't get you excited, we want you to hear about what Kwame has to share and what he and his team are doing. And that should get you excited. If it doesn't, I don't know what will. So listen in to hear how Kwame Williams is discovering entrepreneurial solutions that tackle the challenges faced by the poor and the marginalized in our world today, and especially on the African continent. Here with my co-hosts, Partners in Crime, Rusty and William. Greetings, brothers. Hey, 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 hey. Good to see you guys. Good to be here. And today our travels take us to Accra, Ghana. One of the unique things about our podcast, of course, is that over the last 120, 125 episodes, maybe we didn't do it for the first 10, but William has asked the same question at the end of every podcast. And this will be a heads up for Kwame. We always ask our guest, what is it that you're hearing from God through his word? What most of our listeners don't know, because we actually don't usually ask it after we started recording, is that we also ask each one of our guests what they think is the best global sport and what city in the world plays that sport the best. And so I want to ask our guest from Accra, Ghana, Kwame, please tell us what your answers to both of those would be. Henry, this question is super easy. It is lacrosse. 
And, it and what city plays that sport the best? Baltimore, Maryland. Maryland. There you have it. Hands down. Hands All the way from Accra, Ghana. You heard it here first on the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. What a treat it was for us to be on that call with Harambians together. And Harambians, for those of you who don't know, is maybe a look at it through the lens of like it's a Y combinator for the very best entrepreneurs that are coming out of the African continent. And it was so cool to be on this call with these brilliant entrepreneurs from over that continent and find out that Kwame and I had that passion in common. And so for us to get back on this call together is super special for me. Great to see you again. Great to see you again, Henry. So thanks for being with us. And we want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. It's a great one. Your life starts off in Baltimore. Maybe we'll start there. Give us a little bit of an autobiographical sketch. Who are you? Where'd you come from? And then we want to hear all about true Moringa, what Moringa is, what God has taught you about your entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. And it's a pleasure to get to meet you, Will and Rusty. I'm really excited about this time together. And I'll dive right in. My story starts in Accra, Ghana. As you mentioned, Henry, I was born into a home that loves Jesus. My parents, at a very early age, got involved in church, learned the books of the Bible, all of that. And probably in my formative years as well, was super excited and passionate about aviation. Anything that flew got me pumped. Like I would run outside when planes fly overhead and, and when butterflies and birds flew. And that curiosity got me really into the spirit of tinkering, more like destroying everyone's toys, trying to figure out how it worked. But we're going to call it tinkering for <laughs> our intensive purposes. And I just sort of grew up just passionate about engineering ultimately and was blessed with the opportunity to immigrate to the U.S. when I was in the fourth grade. It's 2000. My parents, we leave Ghana on April Fool's Day, 2000. We land in JFK Airport. My first meal is a Happy Meal at McDonald's. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. I get to play Playhouse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not knowing that the future as an immigrant in the U.S. would actually be extremely challenging. And we settled in Baltimore, Maryland, and that's the connection to lacrosse. I, in high school, got into two things, lacrosse and robotics. So I'm sort of this job by day and robotics nerd all other hours. And I got the chance to learn the sport, got excited about sports in general. And by the end of my time in high school, I realized that I could fuse this passion for building robots and this passion for aviation in a discipline called aerospace engineering. And I realized that MIT was one of the best places to learn that. So I set my sights there and God opened up the door for me to get into MIT and pursue my dream, which was to become a, a rocket scientist. Did you play club lacrosse at MIT? Does MIT even have club lacrosse? MIT does have a lacrosse team. I played one semester, really actually just fall ball. Unfortunately, I realized that I just couldn't keep up with school, which felt like drinking from a fire hose. And, I and bet. I at MIT, at time. studying rocket exactly. science, I bet. <laughs> so I stuck with intramural sports as my sports outlet. So everything, yeah. ultimate frisbee, soccer, football, dodgeball, whatever got me moving. And my time at MIT was just this beautiful experience because I thought I was going to MIT to learn about aerospace engineering. And it actually became this formative experience in my spiritual journey for so much of my life because I grew up in the church. It had just become sort of second nature. And I spent the first two years at MIT actually wrestling with, you know, does God exist? And if he does, which faith has it right? 
I joined a fraternity just to explore like, okay, I'm away from home. I just want to experience what freedom looks like without immigrant parents who are watching your every move. And God really just used my time at MIT to help me make my faith real for me. To get to a point where I was old enough with clarity to say that I love Jesus and, and I want to live my life in a way that shares his love with others. And in that same then MIT was transformative in moving me ultimately from aerospace engineering to a lot of what I do now, which is agriculture. And I'd love to kind of talk about that journey with you as we talk about the Moringa tree. Good. Well, talk to us about that. And I think that much of the switch there, the transition came from meeting your co-founder, meeting somebody else who was a formative relationship and you saw a different opportunity. So walk us through that transition. Walk us from meeting your partner, Emily, and then, yes, tell us what in the world Moringa is. I don't think Absolutely. I heard the word Moringa before maybe nine months ago, and now it feels like every week somebody's saying something about Moringa. It feels like it was, you well, know, that Moringa is like the, the kale of today or something like that. Precisely. It's, yeah, more, more nutritious than kale with even more anti-inflammatory benefits than turmeric. It's kind of the buzzwords right now around Moringa. Um, but yeah, let me take you back in time. So in 2010, I was blessed with the opportunity to join the Campus Crusade for Christ Now crew movement to visit Ghana on a mission trip. And that trip took me to the northern part of Ghana. And that was really my first introduction to rural poverty. I realized that it's so easy for us to be desensitized by development statistics. But once those numbers become names and faces of people you do life with, you share life with, it changes everything. And for me, it, it moved me from this place of saying, I want to go back and intern at NASA to well, how can I leverage what I've been blessed with to actually start making a difference in the lives of the rural poor in Ghana? And what are the resources and opportunity around them that we can start capitalizing on to transform their lives. So it's not just sort of a poverty lens, but really an opportunity lens. And I was stuck with this question until my final year at MIT, when I took a course called D-Lab Development. And this was the course in which I met Emily, my co-founder and business partner, and as well, Daisy, my wife and life partner. And so this course changed everything. And it started through a trip back to Ghana. And this time we are working alongside rural farmers. And they're telling us about this tree called Moringa. They're saying, Moringa is this miracle tree locally. And I'm saying, okay, hold up, slow down. Let's talk about some numbers and some science here. And they're like, okay. So the more we research it, the more we realize the farmers were right. The leaves of the tree contain more iron than spinach, more calcium than milk, more protein than yogurt, more vitamin C than oranges. And so we realized that there was this nutrient powerhouse in the leaves of the tree. And then we looked at the seeds of the tree and we realized that it also contained this deeply moisturizing oil that outperforms argan, coconut, and shea oils, which we know of in the cosmetic sphere. And when we took a, a layer back and we looked at the marketplace, we realized that there was a $5 billion market opportunity. And so it became very clear to us as students in 2012 in Ghana that there was more to Moringa than getting an A on a class project. That we really needed to think about connecting the dots, helping farmers, as we like to joke, prove that money grows on trees. The money that they need to transform and improve their livelihoods was right there in their backyards. And so my co-founder, Emily, and I, from that point on, just started to research Moringa personally. And we were fortunate enough to win some grant 
startup capital out of MIT that helped us launch True Moringa, our consumer-facing and vertically integrated brand um, featuring and Moringa products powered for our health and our wellness today. And as I understand it, the Moringa tree is also good for farming, right? It's not one of those trees where, like the palm oil trees where they go in and it, it messes everything up. It actually helps. You've got it perfectly right, Rusty. So Moringa, one, it grows in, in arid climates. So it's a really climate smart, sustainable tree. Two, it helps the crops around it grow better. Three, it can be intercropped. And so you don't put farms in a position where it's an all or nothing, like grow Moringa and cut everything else down. And then four, it grows extremely fast compared to other fruit trees. So Moringa fruits in about 12 to 14 months. And that compares, for example, to shea, which takes 15 years to give you its first fruit, or even mango trees, fruit trees, that are three to five years before they give you the first fruit. So in Moringa, you have this climate resilience opportunity for rural farmers. You also have a dual income opportunity from the seeds and the leaves. And then you have the opportunity to support and integrate into what farms are already cultivating rather than replace that. Yeah, that's very cool. I feel like we're just this far away from Moringa, you know, smoothies right down here at Jamba Juice. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, oh, it's it, coming. It really, <laughs> it really is coming. It really is coming. And it's, I mean, in different parts of the U.S., it's already there. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. So tell us about your vision and mission of true Moringa. I mean, what's the problem? You know, you're talking to both faith-driven investors and faith-driven entrepreneurs here. So what's the problem that you're trying to solve? And how does planting these trees actually do that? Yeah. So True Moringa to date serves 5,000 women and farming families all across Ghana. And we've planted 2 million trees across the country of foresting communities and combating rural malnutrition. And we are adding value to the seeds of the tree and have created a line of natural personal care products and as well, we're taking the lease of the tree and have created a line of health and wellness products. And we built this vertically integrated supply chain really because we have a bold vision. And that vision is that there are a plethora of underutilized high value crops here on the African continent. And what's missing are really the rails to connect these underutilized crops to a global marketplace where they can be enjoyed and appreciated and to build those rails in a way that improves the lives of farmers, that cares for the planet, as well as ultimately is sustainable by generating a profit. And so we like to say that our mission is to improve the lives of our farmers and to improve the wellness of our customers, all powered by this Moringa tree. That's very cool. If I can paraphrase somebody that we all not only admire, but follow. You're not only teaching them to use a tree, you're teaching them how to plant a tree, right? You know? Precisely. Yeah, Precisely. Exactly. That's good. <laughs> so there must have been some disconnect in the market, though, because Moringa trees have been around, you know, for a long time, and somebody didn't see the market opportunity, but yet you have. So how did you see it? And what's your fix for that disconnect? Yeah. So we realized that a big part of the disconnect revolved around the initial positioning of Moringa. It was largely being championed by nonprofits and aid organizations working on the African continent focused on rural malnutrition prevention. So they would go into communities and they'll say, 
hey, farmers, here's some moringa seeds, plant them, eat the leaves. Your life will be better, goodbye. And of course, farmers will receive seeds, plant them, and ultimately became jaded because they're saying, okay, we've planted this amazing tree. We can't eat all the leaves from hundreds of trees. And we know from everything you've taught us that there's a market value to both the leaves and the seeds of my tree. And so we realized that the, what was missing was a for-profit social impact focus to the supply chain. So we now have come in and said, all right, we're not just going to educate you on how to plant Moringa and how to consume it to combat malnutrition at home. We're going to help you scale your 5, 10 trees to 500 on an acre with your other crops. We're going to now add value here in Ghana, transforming Moringa into ingredients like the seed oil and the leaf powder. And then we're going to take these two hero ingredients and create everyday products that people can enjoy. So there's an economic engine behind the social impact work and environmental impact work that Moringa presents naturally. And so that's been the differentiator that we've brought into the marketplace. And so even now, when you go to our truemoringa.com website and you make a purchase, we built the GIS traceability to allow you to know, here's where my products came from. Here's the community in Ghana they came from. And as you buy one, we plant one. And so we've really connected the dots all the way from sort of the soils of Ghana to the shelves of Whole Foods and as well to the smartphones that we have as we shop online in the U.S. Oh, that's cool. And we know you're not only sowing Moringa tree seeds. We also know you're sowing seeds of your faith. And so take us through you know, the spiritual integration of your work, your project, your mission. And then while you're there, talk to us about why Ghana and what harvest are you hoping to see spiritually through your work in Ghana? Yes, uh, such good questions, Rusty. I'll sort of go in order. Um, So as I think about sowing seeds beyond Moringa seeds, it really comes down to how do I, as the co-founder and CEO of Moringa Connect, share my faith and display and walk my faith out in a hopefully winsome way in our organization. And what's been so special is that from the very beginning, God has been the foundation of everything we've done at True Moringa. I remember when I first moved back to Ghana, we launched an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign to kickstart the business. And we had a $25,000 goal and we had raised, I think something like $4,000 and it's Christmas Eve, um, 19,000 more to go. And I get an email from a couple in Sweden saying, hey, we don't know you, but God told us to fill in the entire round so you meet your goal. Sweden. You said Sweden? In Sweden. That's right. So how to connect those dots for me, Ghana, Sweden. And I share this story because when I opened up that email, this is Christmas, and I just started crying. And as I was crying, you know, there's no voice in heaven, but I just felt in that moment God saying, this is to show you and remind you that I am building this business with you and that I am the foundation of this. So your highs and your lows are all going to have to be rooted in me in building this together. And really, there is no direct link between us and this incredible couple that are now still investors in our company seven years later. They saw our work online, they followed it, and they were obedient to God in their giving. 
And I share this because it set the tone for the rest of our journey as a company. Today, we start every meeting and end every meeting in prayer. We create the space in our hiring process to say, Colossians 3.23 is going to be our guiding sort of light and framework. And it challenges us to say, let's work as something done for God, not for our human paycheck and not for any accolades. We create the space as well, personally, to fast weekly. And I do that because fasting has been a powerful physical expression of saying, God, I need you. God, I want to work with you and build in this organization. And we haven't been perfect in modeling out you know, our faith in God. And not everyone in the organization is a believer, but we've created this space that really invites God's presence into our day-to-day decision-making. That's really great. Uh, well, I know William's going to dive more into that, but I just have one more question for you. So I'm looking at your product lines here, and you have one product called the Tranquility Face. Now, you can see all of us here. Nobody else can. Do you think that product could actually work on us? I mean, could it make us better? (laughs) And who of all of us needs it the most? (laughs) So let me just put myself in this and say that I use our oils and the Tranquility Oil is one of our scented oils every day. So I need it. And so I think all of us should use it. And I personally use it as a beard oil uh, to reduce irritation before and after shave. You know, my wife is using it as a lovely facial oil. My mom is using it as a hair oil. So it's just this powerful, all-purpose moisturizing oil for your hair, face, and body. So I'm going to say we all need it. And that's why you should try it out. <laughs> I, I just want someone to look at me and go, hey, look at the tranquility in your face. I mean, that would just be a beautiful thing, especially right now in 2020. All right. So, William, it's all yours. As the, uh, as the only member of the team with a full beard, I take that as a backhanded way of saying William needs it the most. But, you know, that's it. I got uh, you, I, love you anyway. I got you. That's all right. That's all right. Kwame, I want to dig a little deeper. And one thing we probably haven't done on here in a while, I want to reread our mission statement, a faith-driven entrepreneur, because I think you're going to help us in this. And on the front page of our site, you read, our mission is to help entrepreneurs who are hard at work on the trail, who are often tired, exhausted, under-resourced, and confused. They need rest, support, guidance, and provisions as they get ready to head back on the trail to fight dragons. And in no time more is during this pandemic that we are all dealing with in different ways. And God is orchestrating his ways in different ways across the world. But I do know 2020 has been a tough year in some ways for you and the company. And you've been so gracious to tell us that you wanted to share that with our audience. And I just think it's going to be something they need to hear. And so if you could just share what challenges you guys have faced and how God has walked with you through those. Thank you so much, William. And I just love the foundation that this mission statement sets because we are living that. Uh, To paint the picture for our audience today, starting January 2019, we start to basically experience our own version of Job's story. And for color, we've been growing at sort of 75% CAGR as a business since inception. 2019 was supposed to be this big year. We had multi-million dollar contracts to supply companies and Whole Foods and Costco that retail Moringa products. And so there was just this year filled with so much hope and anticipation. And 
from the first day, right? Come home from sort of in Ghana, you pray all throughout the night into the new year. So I come home supercharged January 1st, 2019. And I get a call when I wake up on New Year's Day that 15,000 trees were literally burning, that our wildfire had gone to our largest farm here in Ghana. Four months later, in April 2019, I also get another message saying that our factory was burning down to the ground. And with it went over a million dollars worth of lost revenue, assets, and as well, the livelihoods, the job creation opportunity for over 180 of our people on our team. And then fast forward a couple more months, a colleague passed away due to health complications. And the very next month, the dam that's upstream from our nucleus farm did an uncontrolled release and ultimately flooded parts of our farm. And to kind of end the year, a burglar broke into our office on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, and stole a bunch of stuff. So 2019, even before we get to 2020s challenges, global challenges, 2019 was literally just like hell for us. And 2020, as we've all experienced, um, the COVID pandemic hit everyone from the rural farmer to the biggest corporates. And for us, during the lockdown months, it paused about 90% of how we make money. It also touched me personally. In July of 2020, I got sick with COVID. My wife and I both got sick with COVID. And we actually ended up having a miscarriage as well in that same month. And then in September, thinking that, okay, God, hopefully that's, that's it. That's the last thing in September of 2020. In one of our rural communities, three armed gunmen robbed three of my colleagues. They shot into our pickup truck and two were ultimately hit by the heavy ammunition. But by God's grace, miraculously, they survived, you know, the shotgun hits and the AK-47 hits and are recovering post-surgery. And this specific attack is just, it's not Ghana. Ghana is extremely safe and it's not even this community. So it's just this series of events where we had to pause and say, God, what is happening? Why is it happening? How do we even talk about this? And so I think God has put not just myself, but our entire company on this sort of crash course of resilience and also of a re-clarification and redefinition of our faith. And so I'd love to maybe share some of the lessons that we've learned through these back-to-back adversities. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, I'm definitely going to ask you to do that and just... Oh, that is a wilderness season. And, you know, they're littered through the scripture. I don't know if this is from the Lord or not, but somebody once told me when I was going through a long one that, you know, God uses those uh, mightily that he has taken to the wilderness first. And I don't know if that hits where you are or not. Um, so take it from the Lord if it is and, and not if it's not. But um, all of our heroes from the Bible have experienced things like this. And, and I just, I'm grateful for you sharing these stories with our listeners. And, and yeah, if you would, where, what has God taught you from these challenges? And just, yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for just yeah, joining me in, in, in the, the heaviness of all of this. And for that word, I do think that there's truth in that because so much of this season has been not challenging me with a couple of big questions. So I know the first one is, What's more important to me? Is it God or is it his gifts? 
And one of my colleagues, Peter Mueller, always knows they're just the right thing to send to me at the right time. He and my mom, they have that gift. And he sent a video to me of Phil Vischer from 2010. And he shared C.S. Lewis's quote. It says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. And the day I first heard that, it just changed everything for me because I realized that so much of my Christian life has been, hey, God, can you give me this gift? Can you open this door for my company? Can you bless my wife and I so that our pregnancy will be successful? And these are amazing good things that a good father wants to give. But I realized that God wasn't enough for me. And this season has got me to a place where God has become enough for me, where adversity after adversity, I can pause and I can just say, God, I love you. I believe and I know that you are good, even without this good gift. And I think a related question that I've had to wrestle with in this season has been, you know, is God good in my life or in our lives as believers because he protects us from bad things or because he's present with us in bad things, right? So is he protecting us from our pain or present with us in our pain? And I think honestly, for most of my life, I just chose, I want the keep the bad thing away. And God has used this season to challenge me to get to a place where every day I get to say that the presence is what I want, is what I desire. And that has impacted where I find my identity. So is my identity in walking in this calling to use botanicals to improve the lives of people? Um, Or is my identity in just being loved by God? And I think the last kind of high level question that has helped bring out some lessons for me is around this idea of, am I working as as a slave or as a son of God. And I share that to point to the fact that most of the past seven years, I've drank the Kool-Aid of grind and hustle as a founder, you know, no days off. And, you know, my phone is with me when I'm having dinner with my wife and there were seasons. I remember when we first won the Forbes 30 on the 30, you know, I was sleeping with my laptop every day because I'm like, I have to do even more. And when factory burned and when we realized that we had to completely restructure our business, God said, I need you to start resting. I need you to start taking a Sabbath. I need you to start setting better boundaries for work. And, you know, it's been 24 months almost of back-to-back adversity, but, and I have not perfected this, but I can say that by God's grace, I'm progressing in this and and setting better boundaries. And my wife will call me out uh, if, (laughs) if I stray too far. And so just to kind of sum that up, I think the big lessons are around really loving God and pursuing God for him, not his gifts. Secondly, being excited and acknowledging that God is good because of his presence in our pain, not simply the times when he protects us from pain. And then I think a third big lesson has been, how do I work alongside God as a son who rests rather than as a slave who is constantly striving and grinding and hustling without his loving father guiding him? So I think those are the big things that have come out of this season for me as I think about my faith journey in the face of so much adversity. Wow. You know, I had thought that we'd hear about Ghana and an entrepreneurial story and learn about Moringa, but it's really powerful just to hear that we all got something much, much more than we had expected and grateful for your 
faithfulness and sharing your story and a lot of transparency and vulnerability and just really seeing faith at work. And I know that that's an inspiration and encouragement to all of us. Amen. And I, I love what you said. I, we'll have to have this pastor. I don't know if you ever wrote a book, a new book by a guy named John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. <laughs> and so I don't know if it's one to send you. I'll happily buy it for you. It's an incredible book. But he does a section on the word hustle and how it's been co-opted. And, you know, the word actually, the definition means to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a direction, right? Like that's not something to aspire to. Um, the words, the word's been co-opted a little bit and like, it's definitely not biblical. And I love how you reframed that. And, and John Mark does an incredible job. I'd love to hear him talk to entrepreneurs, but it's all about just, uh, it comes from a quote from Dallas Willard that he asked one time and said, you know, what's the biggest thing we should do to pursue Jesus? And he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. He said, he sat there, he's like, okay, what else? He's like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> so I thank you for that. And, but you, so you also have an interesting view there. I mean, you, so that's your personal journey and what God's taking you through. You're also the leader of a company that has gone through these stresses, not, and I'm sure, uh, it sounds like just from getting to know you that, uh, they probably walked alongside you through the personal, uh, struggles as well as the business struggles and the business is going through issues. How has that affected your organization and how has God equipped you to lead through this? So first, my brother in Christ and colleague, Peter Mueller, who I mentioned always knows just the right thing to say, just yesterday was talking about the ruthless elimination of heart. So he's there with you, William. He and his wife are reading it right now. And I checked out the devotional in the Bible app. So I got to taste a little bit of the book, but I think it's worth diving in and actually reading it. And to talk to your question about professionally, how we sort of navigated adversity and, and built resilience. I think the first thing is as a senior leadership team, we realized that we needed to self-care because we were burning out or will burn out. And so for that, some of the biggest things that we did practically is create space. My co-founder, Emily, created space for mindfulness and meditation. For me, it was a lot around writing down things I'm grateful for every day because that just changed my lens beyond sort of the caring for our mind, all of us have gone into wellness and fitness and so caring for our bodies just so that we can actually endure the emotional, physical, mental, intellectual toll of what's happening. And then in the organization itself, we really doubled down on two simple frameworks. So one is start, stop, continue, which says, what can I start today that is going great? What do I need to stop that's not working? And what should we continue? And then the second framework, the grow framework, what's our goal what are the sort of options that we have? And then what is the reality on the ground and what's the way forward? And we took these frameworks as a way to just sit down and dissect our business. It meant we had to lay off our staff who were connected to the factory. And that was the most painful thing I've ever had to do as a leader. But then in that pain, we also created opportunities for them. Those who knew how to sew started making masks to support COVID and we raised our own capital. We literally donated our savings to create an unemployment fund to serve those who don't have a safety net. On the actual product side, we launched a couple new SKUs and these SKUs actually became the trigger to get into Whole Foods in New England. So in our adversity at the worst possible time, the expansion of our product line, doubling down on our True Moringa brand, helped us get into Whole Foods at the end of 2019 and at the end of 2020 has helped us get into Costco. And 
I think that basically taking these frameworks ultimately has helped us run lean experiments that have unlocked opportunity. And as we end 2020, we've grown revenue by almost three times that of 2019. So we're really excited that God has blessed these small efforts to really say, what can I start? What can I stop? What can I continue? And as well, how do I grow even in the face of adversity? Amen. Amen. And as we come near into our close, I would love to know as someone who's on the ground working with entrepreneurs, and I know you're involved with so many, I think as a group, honestly, I think I can speak for the three of us. We've just collectively been inspired by the continent of Africa and what is going on there. And just, you know, shame on us for missing it and not seeing the amazing opportunity and growth and looking past it. And so I would love for you maybe to give a pitch as well while you're on this podcast. You know, what's your vision for the future of Ghana specifically? And maybe if you have one, you know, for Africa, what could entrepreneurship do uh, for the country of Ghana and the continent of Africa? That's a great question. I think it's been said that, you know, talent is everywhere, but opportunity isn't. And I think that's really the case when you think about Ghana, you think about the African continent. My sort of vision is to unleash the entrepreneurial capacity of people on the African continent. I believe that Africans should be the one in the driver's seat to solve the injustice of poverty, to create opportunities that improve the livelihoods of their communities, their cities, their countries. And we need allies from around the world in that partnership. But I think that it's basically saying if the right allies can come alongside African entrepreneurs, if the, the coaching, the capital, the community and the connections can create a conducive ecosystem that we can transform this continent, right? To take it from the economists calling it a hopeless continent to one that's actually a beacon of excellence across every industry that we can imagine. And for me, the poorest demographic in our world today are rural farmers. And so, so much of how I think we can do this is creating opportunities that increase the income and improve the livelihoods of women and farming families all across the African continent. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And, and as Henry alluded to in the beginning, we are going to come to a close and we're going to ask our favorite question. And we've recently been led by the Spirit to ask a second question. So if you haven't listened to the recent podcast, this may be new, but we'd love to invite you to share with our listeners where God has you in his word right now, where he has you in his scripture and what he may be teaching you. It could be something that you've been studying this season. could be something that he told you this morning through your mom or your business partner. (laughs) And then secondarily, how can we be praying for you? And how can we be praying and our listeners be praying for True Moringa? Funny story is that my mom did send this verse to me this morning. It was her verse of the day, but it has been the verse that I've found so much comfort in in the season. And it's Isaiah 43, one to two. And I love to just sort of read it. And when I do, I insert my name just to make it as powerful as possible. And it's God saying, but now Kwame, listen to the Lord who created you. Kwame, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And it resonates because we've literally gone through the flood, the fire, the oppression in a physical sense. And God has been faithful through it all. And so I hope this speaks to anyone who is going through any difficulty, especially with what 2020 and COVID-19 has brought to the world, 
and just know that God is real. He loves you and he is present in the most painful things. Amen. And how can we be praying for you and your company? Um, True Moringa is at an inflection point. We're grateful to God for the ability to be growing over 154% year over year. And so the key prayer now is for like-minded investors to partner with us to support our growth beyond this year. And I think that's gonna be the biggest sort of catalyst to our future as we work to improve the lives of farmers here in Ghana. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We're very, very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven investor community. Hey, the best way for you to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvestor.org. And while you're there, we of course want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people join the discussion now from all around the world. But it's also very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey, one that you're proud of and one that you'll share with others. This podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer, Justin Foreman, program director, Johnny Wills, music by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdrags.com and audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. <laughs>